I don't have to have it. I can use that one. I mean, whatever. Is it working? Okay. All right. Good. I was late getting here. I, uh, I thought I'd left enough in plenty of time. And uh, the highway out there, every single light caught me. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> and then I turn on the, the, the main street coming in to Granite Falls, and I get behind a law-abiding citizen. That always aggravates fire out of me, too. Uh, I hope it wasn't one of you, but, uh, but I'm always delighted to be here. I don't know what I did to earn the favor of your pastor, but I'm very grateful for his friendship and, um, and always look forward to any opportunity for our paths to cross and, and to be here and, and, um, I'll get you updated a little bit. We, uh, we, uh, have, let's see, we have three grandbabies now, and um, uh, today is our oldest grandchild's birthday, Raylan's two today, and uh, then Jace, his birthday is, I think, in five weeks, I believe I'm right in that, and then uh, Jackson was just born, Uh, Josh and Amy had a baby, Jackson, he was just born in um, December, maybe the first, something like that, And, and the last, the next one, is not the last one. The next one is uh, is due any day. My wife is going to leave probably to uh, Wednesday to go to Atlanta, uh, Canton, Georgia, to be with uh, our youngest daughter, Carissa, and they're having their second. Uh, she married a young man named Caleb Ray. They served with his dad at the Crossroads of Life Baptist Church in Canton, Georgia, and uh, and. They were at our place for Christmas, and she said, well, we know it's a boy. Their first boy, uh, they named Jace. I had never heard the name Jace. I don't watch Duck Dynasty. And, uh, but that's who they named him after. They named him after the, the, the dude on Duck Dynasty. And so uh, she said, you want to know what the, the, baby's, the, the next baby's name? I said, oh, I can't wait to find out what the next baby's name is going to be. And... Uh, Get this. This is so cool. They're going to name him Finley. Isn't that cool? Yeah. They're going to name him Finley. Anybody makes fun of him, I'm going to knock her head off, too. I'm telling you. But, uh, but they are. They're going to name him Finley and uh, going to call him Finn for short. And so uh, that's pretty neat. We're, we're grateful uh, for God's blessings upon uh, our lives. And... Uh, God's just good. I enjoyed the children singing. That was a blessing and uh, fits well with what I want to talk to you about tonight. I think you'll see that real soon into the message. God is better to us, to all of us, than what we deserve. And uh, he's certainly been good to, to me and to my family. Um, our, uh, our middle son is um, probably getting married. He's not engaged, but it's a done deal. You know what I'm saying? And uh, in the fall, and uh, so we've got one more that's unhitched, and uh, he's 23, so if uh, you know any blind ladies that would, um, (laughs) no, he's a great guy, and uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I just want to be a blessing tonight. Uh, I was under the weather Saturday. I was telling the preacher I was was fearful I was coming down with one of those five-day flus or something, but was much better yesterday, able to be in church, both services, and doing even better tonight. So I'm thankful for the Lord's 
uh, goodness in my life. I want to jump right into it. In Mark chapter 16, uh, we're going to celebrate here in just a few days the resurrection. I'm excited about that, aren't you? I'm glad he's alive and uh, glad that uh, we serve a risen Savior. And here in this passage, it was early on that first Sunday morning following the resurrection of Christ from the tomb. And some of the ladies went to the place where he had been buried and they were going to anoint his body with oil and spices. And, and they're on the way there and they're thinking to themselves, you know, well, how are we going to move that big rock? Uh, did you see that great big old rock they put in front of that tomb, the door of that tomb? And we're going to have to move that thing. They, that was the least of their worries. Because when they got there, God had already moved the stone. And uh, so they approach the tomb and, and uh, they step into the sepulcher. And there they encounter a young man sitting on the right side. And the Bible said he was clothed in a long white garment. And it probably spooked him a little. It would spook me a little. Uh, I think I probably have told you the story. Uh, I, I get kind of, you know, uh, I, I could never work in a funeral home. I just never could. I, I would never be able to do that. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to be around graveyards at night. I, I mean, I just don't. I just, I, I'm just, call me what you want. I just don't. But uh, when, when I was a young father and our oldest son, who now serves with us there in Durham, was uh, probably about six years old. I was preaching at a church one night down in Ashboro, and uh, we had finished the service, and we were heading to the car. The car was on the other side of the parking lot, and you had to go around a, a graveyard, a cemetery, to get to the car. And uh, so my wife and I and our other kids are going around. Well, Josh decides he's going to beat everybody to the car, so he cuts across the graveyard. And uh, he gets to the car. He's all excited because he beat me. And so he got in the car. We got everybody buckled up. And I said, uh, I said, hey, boy, I said, you was running through that graveyard. You didn't step on any of them graves, did you? <laughs> he said, uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't, probably. <laughs> and I said, man, I can't believe you did that. I wasn't smiling. I said, I can't believe you did that. He said, what, what do you mean? I said, didn't you know? He said, didn't I know what? I said, didn't you know that if you step on a grave within 24 hours, you'll be in one? <laughs> you didn't know that? You didn't know if you step on a grave, you, you, you die within 24 hours? He said, no, sir. I said, man, it's dark. Yeah, it's dark. You know, we're driving, we get out on 220, heading back to 85 to come home. And I hear him back, we had a minivan at the time. I hear him back there in the van going. <laughs> he said, I said, what's the matter with you, boy? He said, I didn't know, Daddy. Nobody ever told me that. <laughs> so I guess I've got this phobia, I reckon. But uh, I know that was cruel and unusual punishment, but... Uh, Hey, he turned into a teenager and got me back for it again and again and again and again. <laughs> but uh, but uh, they, they're a little bit taken back. And, and we're not going to read all these verses, but just, just real quickly, look at verse 6. We're heading somewhere here. The Bible said, And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. And so that's the greatest news, the greatest event in human history. We're, we'll celebrate it this Sunday. 
the resurrection, that puts everything in perspective. I preached yesterday on the crucifixion, and uh, next Sunday we'll preach on the resurrection. But I want you to look at verse 7, and this is going to be our text verse, and, and uh, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going somewhere with this. I want you to hang on. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, this, this angel tells these women, but go your way. Now, notice the wording in your Bible. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Was Peter a disciple? Yes, Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So why did he say that? Why didn't he just say, hey, go tell the disciples that the Lord is risen and that he's going to meet them in Galilee, and he's got some instructions for them. Why did he say, tell the disciples and Peter? Well, he was trying to get a message to Peter. I've often thought of that little phrase and often (laughs) contemplated, maybe what was God trying to say here? Why was Peter being singled out? And I want us to look tonight at why I think the Lord specifically singled out Peter. It wasn't enough to say, go tell the disciples. He said, I want you to go tell the disciples and Peter. Let's pray together and we'll preach for a little bit. Father, I pray you would help us tonight. I have one goal, that when we leave here, when we leave here in just a few moments, that we would all realize what we heard in song just a few minutes ago. And that is that you love us in a very unique way. You didn't just love the disciples, you loved Peter. And Lord, there's a lot of reasons why you could have not loved Peter. And tonight, I, I, I just want you to reach down in this this. Uh, sanctuary, and I just want you to work in the hearts of every single person here, and I wish that we could all leave here tonight knowing that we are loved unconditionally by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a wonderful, wonderful thought that is. Help us in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're much of a student of the Bible, you know a little bit about where I'm going. Peter had been singled out here, I think, by God on purpose, and it all had to do with Peter's past. We're going to use our Bibles a little bit this evening. I want you to look at Mark chapter 14 and verse number 27, if you would. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 27. Go back with me just a couple of chapters to when the Lord let the disciples know that he was going to be crucified, okay? He's gathering his disciples around, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, and they go out into the Mount of Olives. And in verse 27 of Mark 14, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you, into Galilee. So basically here, our Lord is foretelling his crucifixion and he is predicting their betrayal. He is saying to these guys, I'm telling you guys, this thing is going down and all of you are going to be offended. What does that word mean, the word offended? It means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way that may cause someone else to fall. He's saying to them, 
some of you guys, you're going to get tripped up by this. You're not ready for what's about to happen. I'm telling you. You're, not, you're, you're going to be taken back when this happens. But it means even more than that. The word means to cause a person to begin to distrust and even desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Here's what he's saying in a nutshell. I'm going to be crucified and you guys are going to cut and run. You guys are going to bail out. You're going to be nowhere to be found. And of course... Most of us know what is about to happen. Peter never wavers. He never hesitates. He doesn't wonder. Peter said to him in verse number 29, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. It was one of many times in Scripture when Peter impetuously spoke or acted, although he wasn't really going to be able to follow through on what he was saying. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to give Peter his due. I think Peter meant it when he said it. You see, we get, preachers give Peter a hard time. Well, that fool, he liked to drown. Yeah, but he walked on water. And I don't think Peter, I don't think he's putting on a show. I don't think Peter was blowing smoke. I don't think Peter was trying to make an impression. I think Peter meant it in his heart of hearts. I think Peter was saying, Lord, I'll tell you what, everybody here may cut and run. Everybody here may bail. Everybody here may quit. But I will, I will never, I will never betray you. And he meant every word of it. Just like you did. You remember that time when you knelt at an altar and you said to God, God, if you'll forgive me, I will never do that again. Until the next time you were tempted, right? You remember, right, whenever you said to God, God, if you'll give me a job, I'll promise you I'll give a dime of every dollar that comes into my my pocket through that job. I promise you. Until the rent came due. You meant it. You meant it. All of us have knelt at an altar, maybe at this altar. We have gotten along with God somewhere, and we have said to God, God, if you'll do this, God, I promise you, God, if you'll forgive me, God, and you just... You see, what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with Peter's presumptuousness. Peter was just presumptive. The Bible says in Mark 14, 30, And Jesus said unto him, after Peter said, Lord, everybody else may be offended, but not me. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But Peter wasn't going to be denied. And Peter comes back in verse 31, and Peter spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. How many times have we made promises to God that we never kept? How many times have have we just poured it on real thick? You know what that means, right? I mean, we just poured it on thick. We just said, God, I'm just telling you, God, you'll never have to worry about me again. God, I'll never go back down that road. God, I'll never mess with that stuff again. God, I'll never look at that again. But you did. And you know what? I think that's why God had that angel say, and Peter. 
Because what God was saying there was, hey, you let Peter know, even though he was presumptive, and even though he made all these promises, I still love him. Even though he turned his back on me, and even though he denied me, and even though he walked away, and even though he did not follow through, I still love Peter. I'm going to tell you tonight, I don't care what you've done, and I don't care how many times you've knelt at an altar, and I don't care how many times you have reneged on your commitments to God. He loves you anyway. I'm glad he said, and Peter. But not only did he deal, I believe, that day with Peter's presumptuousness, But I think he dealt with Peter's powerlessness. Jesus asked his disciples to go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he he tells most of them to stop right outside the garden. And he tells Peter, James, and John, he said, I want you guys to come with me. And they went into the garden there. Man, can you imagine what a privilege that must have been? Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He goes a little further into the garden, and the Lord begins to pour out his soul. He says some things like this. Father, if if there's any other way, if it would ever, if it's possible that this could be done in some other way, I'd like a pass. God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I I would do anything to please you, Father. I I love you and I want to honor you. But if there's any way possible, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to become sin. I am the holy, sinless Son of God. I don't want to become sin. But if there's no other way, I'll do it. He gets up off his knees. He goes to where Peter and the other disciples are. Look at verse 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Can you imagine how frustrating it must have been for our Lord in one of the darkest hours of his earthly life and ministry for his closest followers not to stay awake and pray with him for one hour? I'm glad I'm a preacher. Because I think if I had to sit and listen to preaching all the time, I'd have a hard time staying awake. Matter of fact, that's why I surrendered to the ministry. (laughs) I remember being in Bible college, and uh, I remember how hard it was. Man, I was in some some semesters. I'd be working sixty hours a week, taking sixteen, eighteen hours of class, and working in the ministry all weekend. And I remember coming. I mean, being so tired, so tired. I remember when we used to have classmates who would, I remember I was in class one time, and this guy, man, he was gone. I'm talking about he was knocked out. And some of my buddies decided they were going to play a trick on him, and so they leaned over and they punched him real hard and said, the teacher asked you to pray. He jumped up in the middle of class, dear God, I pray you would. It's terrible. It's a terrible feeling to, It's a terrible feeling when everything inside you wants to stay awake and you know you're supposed to stay awake. I tell you, a horrible feeling is when you're in a class like that and you wake up and the teacher's standing right over you. Imagine how Peter felt when he feels a nudge on his shoulder and he looks up into the face 
of Jesus. The Bible said that in Gethsemane, Christ's sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Imagine how Peter felt when he looked up into Jesus' eyes and he saw the grief in his countenance and he saw drops of blood on his forehead dripping down the side of his face, which is, it is a, a medical possibility. And the disappointment on his face, and Peter looks up and he realizes, I couldn't do what I was supposed to do. Later on, it happened two more times. We won't take time to look at all of that. But we find the Lord coming back and He says in Mark 14 and verse 38, look there if you would. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Here's what Jesus said, Peter, you are powerless. It's not in you, Peter. You don't have what it takes, Peter. You're not able. I know you want to, and I know your spirit is willing, and I know your heart is where it ought to be. But Peter, you've got to come to grips with the fact, my friend, that you cannot do what you ought to do. And neither can you. And neither can I. And we are so powerless to do the right thing. Oh, you say, Pastor Finley, you don't know who you're talking to. Well, I know. I read what Paul had to say about it. Here's what Paul said. This paraphrase, a pitiful paraphrase, as a matter of fact. But Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do and said I would never do, those are the things I do. And, Peter's, uh, and Paul said, I, I have found then a law that is present within me. He said, man, there is always, a, he said, I just cannot do the right thing. Can I tell you how many times I have faced temptation and said, I will not, but I did. We're pitiful people. We're powerless people. There ain't nothing good about us but Jesus. We desire and we want to. We say, man, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to do the right thing. And yet we find ourselves again and again falling flat on our faces. Not even able to pick ourselves up. And we look into the eyes of the one who loves us anyway. And that's why, he, that's why he said, and Peter. Because Peter, he, he's, what he was really saying here was, Peter, I know you're presumptive, and I know you, you, you made these promises you can't keep, and I know, Peter, how powerless you are, and you're a sorry excuse for a Christian, but I love you anyway. Notice the third thing with me, if you would. We've seen his presumptuousness and his powerlessness. Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 14 and verse 47. They're in the garden and the silence is broken by the sound of rustling as Judas leads a band of soldiers to the place where Jesus is. And, and he, of course, we know he sold his Lord for 30 pieces of silver and he plants his kiss of betrayal on his holy cheeks and the soldiers grab the Son of God. Look at verse 47, Mark chapter 14. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. 
Three guesses who that was. And the first two won't even count. That was Peter. In another gospel, we read that Jesus reached down, picked up the guy's ear, and put it back on his head. Mike Tyson was not so fortunate. I preached a sermon one time on Jesus is always cleaning up our messes. And he does. But here's what I want you to notice about, about this, this scenario right here with, uh, with, with this guy's ear. Look, look, if you would, at Matthew 26, and uh, we're going to read verses 52 through 54. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 52. I've got it here in my outline, but I'm going to turn to it. I want to be sure that I read it right. Matthew 26, verse number 52. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Do you know what the Lord is saying here? Do you really think I need you to do that? (laughs) Peter, do you think I need you to do that? What I needed was, I needed for you to stay awake and pray last night. You know what he, you know what he I think he notices in Peter's life? Let's read the, the rest of it here. Verse 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that, that thus it must be? Can I tell you what I think the Lord is highlighting here? When he said, tell the disciples and tell Peter that in spite of his pettiness... I love him anyway. Do you know how easily we get distracted? I mean, we're, we're all the time getting involved in stuff that is unnecessary. I mean, I mean here Peter is, and, 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 and here he is, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, who can, who can beckon... Twelve legions of angels. And Peter thinks that Jesus needs him to defend him. Peter, you don't get it, man. You are distracted. You are occupied with things that don't matter. Peter, you have been caught up in things that are not important. You missed it, Peter. I needed you to pray with me. I don't need you cutting people's ears off. Oh, I know that would never happen to us. Right? We we would never, we would never become distracted with trivial matters. You ever think about how easily we become distracted, how quickly we become petty? Do you know this? I, I think you know this. Do you know that churches never, hardly ever, have trouble over doctrine? I do not remember the last time I heard of a church splitting over doctrine. You know what churches split over? Pettiness. Pettiness. They don't like some decision that's made. 
I was in a church not long ago, and the church had, had, had outgrown their auditorium. That's a good problem. And uh, so the pastor, they were trying to figure out how they could, they didn't, didn't have room to build. They were trying to figure out how they could get more space. And so they made the decision to, to get, and it needed, it was old and outdated. And they made the decision they were going to get rid of the pews and they were going to put chairs in because they could actually get more seats in and more people could come to hear the gospel than they could if they kept the pews. I preach there every year, and I was invited back not too long ago, and I went in, it's beautiful, it is beautiful. And the assistant pastor said, man, really pray. He said, we got two families that are really on the fence whether or not they're going to stay. I said, for what? Because we took the pews out. Petty! That's petty! That's pitiful! That's pathetic. I can think of a lot of other P words too. Because they took the pews out. So that more people could come and hear about the gospel. And they're going to leave the church because they took the pews out. Great church. The same church, you know what? They decided they were going to update. And so they were going to they were going to put up a, a real nice electronic sign, you know, with the digital stuff. And man, one family in the church got, well, they got bent about that thing. You know why? Because Grandpa dug the post holes for that sign. True story. I'm talking about mad enough to leave. Because grandpa, grandpa put that, he set those posts, he poured that concrete. <laughs> Petty. I was in another church preaching. I went, man, I had a, had a, had a real active children's program, had a really, really nice playground. Real nice. One of those fancy McDonald's land playground. I mean, just real new. And I said, man, I love your playground. He said, I'm glad you do. He said, man, this, this is true stuff, I'm telling you. Two families left our church over that playground. I said, what are you talking about? Well, they came in one day and they saw one of our men on a bobcat pushing the old swing over. True story. They were so upset because we pushed that old... He said the thing was a... It was a death trap. It was a, it was a hazard. Kids were going to die on that swing set. And they, we pushed it over. We bulldozed it and put up this new playground. They were upset because Grandma gave money on that swing set. Petty. We become so easily distracted. Would to God that we can... Oh, you say... Well, well, I'll just tell you, that's not why I left the church. I left the church because nobody sent me flowers when I was in the hospital. Or my child wasn't asked to be in the play. Or my kid didn't get invited to sing tonight. That's because he can't sing. We're pathetic. 
that is where we live. And that man right there, there are people who will come here and never hear a word he's saying because they got some little, you know what I'm trying to say, over something that doesn't matter. It's pettiness. Peter got caught up in it. Oh, you're going to cut somebody's head off now, but you couldn't pray for an hour. You know, would to God we could learn to be disturbed about things that really matter. I'm trying to remember the last time somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I need an appointment. I hate it when people ask for appointments. Brother Rick, I need an appointment. Well, what's on your mind? I'm just really burdened. People just aren't being saved in our church like like I think they ought to be. And And it disturbs me and it bothers me and I worry about it. I don't remember the last time that happened. Hey, preacher, can I see you at the service tonight? I, I'm just, I, I'm really, I'm really burdened. I, I just don't think we're being very effective in reaching our community, you know. And, and, I, and I just, man, it, it bothers me. I, I stay awake at night, toss and turn, because I, I know I got neighbors that are lost. And, 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 I, and I think our church could, I know I could be doing a better job. Or, or preacher, could, could, uh, could, could I talk to you for just a minute? I, I just, I'm really upset. It bothers me that we don't have more people out for soul winning and visitation. And, and preacher, it, you know, I don't, I just, I'm having a hard time. It's, I'm struggling because our offers are down. No, it's always, almost always, almost always some petty, insignificant nothing. that we get distracted by. And I'm not talking just about those people who come to see me. I'm talking about me. But the angel said, hey, go tell the disciples that he's risen and he's going to meet him in Galilee and he's got a message for him. And by the way, be sure to tell people. In spite of his presumptuousness, in spite of his powerlessness, in spite of his pettiness, and then let me give you one more, in spite of his passiveness. Look, if you would, at Mark 14 and verse 50. The Bible says, and they all forsook him and fled. That all right there, that included Peter. Jesus is led into the presence of the high priest. And in verse 54, the Bible said, Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Oh, I know, I know, I know what Peter's doing He's probably hanging out with that crowd hoping for an opportunity to witness, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. Peter's hanging out with that crowd hoping others will think he's a part of that crowd because he doesn't want anyone to know he's a believer. Hey, didn't I see you with, didn't I see you with that Jesus guy? 
I don't know what you're talking about. You know what he was? He was passive. Um, look at Mark 14, verse 66. We're about done. Mark 14, verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, wait a minute. We're not talking here about Peter. We're not just talking about him not taking advantage of an opportunity. You know, we're not, we're not talking about him not being proactive. We're talking about him being in denial. I don't even know him. What are you talking about? Look at, look at what it says. And when, look at verse 68. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So what's he do now? He cusses. Verse 71, But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this blankety-blank man of whom ye speak. You know what I find here in Peter's life? I find a passiveness when Peter had every opportunity to say, Yes, I'm a Christian. He did the exact opposite. Every time he had an opportunity to identify with Jesus, he disassociated himself from Jesus. Every time he had an opportunity to make a stand for Christ, he ran away from Christ. You say, ah, good for nothing, low down, sorry, Peter. Can I ask you a question? Was there any time today when you could have spoken up for Jesus and you didn't? Was there any time today when the Spirit of God, I don't have one with me, said, give him a try and you didn't? Was there any time today, maybe at lunch, at work, when you could have taken a moment and bowed and blessed your food and prayed over your meal and been a testimony for Christ and you didn't? You know, I find far too often in my life, I find a tendency for when times when I should have witnessed or should have testified or should have spoken up or, or maybe should have publicly praised Him and said, boy, thank you, Jesus. And I'm so glad I'm saved. And I'm glad to be a Christian. And I'm glad I'm forgiven. And yet we have this passiveness about us. Do your neighbors know you're a Christian? The people you work with? Do they know you're saved? The kids you go to school with, they know you're a Christian? We're so passive. We, me, us, we're so passive. So the angel says to those women, 
Go tell the disciples that he's not here, he's risen. And tell them he's going to meet him in Galilee. He's got some, and by the way, be sure to tell Peter. But that's not all that he said that day. You could have put my name in there. Hey, you tell Rick, in spite of how sorry he is, I still want to be with him. And I love him anyway. And you tell Jerry, and you tell Ronnie, and you tell Don, and you tell Sandra, and you tell Betty, and you tell Becky. And if for no other reason God sent me here tonight to tell you, he loves you like you're his only child. But pastor, you don't know. I don't need to know. Because he knows. And he loves you anyway. I got five children. Our youngest, he came by my office today. He's a, he's a good young man. He really is. He's a great kid. He's, uh, for whatever reason... He doesn't have the spiritual appetite that he ought to have. And I, I don't say this to belittle him. He's, he's, a, he's a great kid. He wasn't in church yesterday that I know of. He came by my office today and he said, Daddy, you got a phone charger I can borrow? I said, sure, man, I got one. I gave him a phone charger. We chatted for about five minutes. whenever he got ready to leave. He's 23. He said, Daddy, I love you. And I said, I love you too, Jake. I would hate for my boy to think that because he didn't go to church or because he doesn't do everything I think he should do or because he does things I don't think he should do, I would hate for him to ever question how much I love him. As a matter of fact, I love him like he's my only child. And that's how Jesus loves you tonight. You say, preacher, if you, you just don't know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He just loves us. Do you know what? He don't love us because of us. He loves us because of him. I want us to bow our heads.